1: Hello everyone, my name is Grace and I'm the Community Manager here at the StoryCraft Café. If you have not already joined us in the Café, I would like to personally invite you to our community. We have so many awesome things going on this month. We have totally revamped our writing group program to include a writing group marketplace where you can browse open writing groups or decide to create your own. At the beginning of the month, we launched the 500 Club which is an exclusive accountability group that challenges you to write 500 words a day over a two week or a month long commitment. Finally, this month, we launched weekly communal word sprints that are open to all crafters. As of this moment, we have four sprints happening per week and we are ranking out words. If you're interested in joining our community, you can find us online at storycraft.cafe. That's S-T-O-R-Y c-r-a-f-t dot c-a-f-e thanks so much for listening and i hope you enjoy this episode
0: hello and welcome to the storycraft cafe podcast i hope you're enjoying your first full week of summer has it only been a week really it feels like it's been hot for six months already but i digress we've got a great show for you today we've been having these great live events in the storycraft cafe as uh, i know that most of you are aware of and if you haven't attended any of the live events yet go over to storycraft.cafe and look at the upcoming events i promise there's something for everyone there's something there that we can all learn from and that's one of the great things about the live events is we can all learn from each other and there's so much fun Today we've got the audio from a live self-editing workshop that we had last week. Be sure to follow the StoryCraft Cafe this week as we've got a live event coming up on Wednesday with Jenna Marisi and it's gonna be so much fun. We're gonna have a panel of dabblers that uh, uh, that join into the conversation. Before we get into this week's podcast though, let's hear from Jeffrey Deaver, talk about uh, his first published book, and how it didn't quite meet the expectations that he had in mind, uh, you know, and it that's why they call it a publishing career. Stay tuned and uh, thank you for joining us today.
2: Well, the first book, now that, again, that was before I left the uh, law practice. I, I published six before um, okay. I, I, I quit. And it was a, uh, I don't know, let me think of what, what would a, a literary critic say. Maybe the worst book written that decade. <laughs> uh, I, 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 maybe there's a, a finer way to put that, but it was a book called Voodoo, and it was my one stab at the occult because I, I love Stephen King's writing. I mean, no one, it, it, no one is Stephen King. Sure. Uh, that's a truism, of course. But by that I mean he sits down with an idea, and you know, I don't know how many months later, out comes a lengthy, beautifully crafted book um and and so i you know i read his all of his almost all of his writing i thought horror i i'm not wasn't really aside from him not really a big horror fan but i thought i'd give it a shot and um this is before the walking dead before all the um uh, uh the uh what are they the vampire books and so forth well i mean we had the vampire Lestat. i think we had uh bram stoker's dracula of course but but i thought i'll, I'll give it a shot nobody had ever done anything about the uh, Santeria, uh, the voodoo uh the hoodoo um the caribbean religion or the occult side so i i, I gave it a shot and uh it uh, let's say didn't didn't do particularly well, and it, when I went back and reread it, it was not well well crafted at all. Um, but there is something, an interesting phenomenon about the book world that you and maybe some of your listeners know, that um, first edition books can be worth quite a bit, and it, it, the first edition element it means the the first. Uh, printing, not a revision, but the first printing. And uh, books like, you know, um, what am I thinking of? Like uh, Tale of Two Cities or um, um, a, a book by, by Charles Dickens, first edition, actually may not be worth a huge amount of money as opposed to a very popular author. For instance, a first edition of J.K. Rowling's First Harry Potter is worth a huge amount of money. Now, whereas a first edition of Bleak House may not be worth that much and it all has to do with the market. it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with the nature of the book itself. Well, that's a long story, but here's the bottom line. My first book was so bad, nobody bought it. The publisher <laughs> shipped me three or four cartons of these books, and uh, I still still have them. And I looked on eBay not too long ago, and because they were so rare, uh nothing to do with the quality they're worth like five or six hundred dollars each so i I may not be a very good investor in the stock market i may not make a you know a huge (laughs) i may not make millions with the books but i at least am able to retire on my first very bad book
3: hey and welcome to today's workshop on self-editing um today we're going to talk about how to upgrade your novel um, so you can strengthen your writing by following a self-editing framework and um, first, I'm going to tell you all a little bit about myself, because why am I talking about this subject at all? <laughs> um, I, my name is Else Vera. I am uh, Dutch. I live in the Netherlands, and I am a professional editor turned self-editing coach on a mission to help writers take control of the quality of their writing and publish without regrets by teaching them to self-edit effectively and efficiently. So what does that mean? I uh, studied psychology to start with and then I did a master's in editing when I realized that I really missed working with um, all things to do with writing and uh, editing and I discovered that um, when I started writing when I started working as a professional editor, I discovered that many writers don't take full advantage of the self editing stage, which is such a shame. I would, um, during my internship at a children's publishing house, I would see the slush pile and the quality of the manuscripts in there was so bad sometimes that I wondered why those writers didn't put in that just that extra bit of TLC to make sure that the manuscript was at the best it could be before they submitted it to a publisher, which would then have the editor who reads the manuscript be much happier about The conditions and about the prospect of working with that author who had already shown that they were uh, willing to put in the work to create a book that's as good as it can be. And the same goes for self-publishing authors. I would see so many self-published authors who had published and be stoked that they had published their book but then really regret how the process went down because they didn't self-edit or they didn't self-edit thoroughly. So, Based on that, I decided to make it my mission to guide fiction writers through the self-editing process, because self-editing has always come very natural naturally to me. I It's the part of the process that I enjoy most, and I have a hard time getting a draft down, <laughs> but once it's down, I really enjoy making sure that everything sounds the way it's supposed to sound, that I convey what I want to convey, that the characters are behaving like themselves, all those kinds of things. Um, and... I want to give writers the tools to uh, feel confident as they self-edit their novel so that they can be sure that um, they've covered every single base they can. So I'm going to talk you through that framework, the framework that I created today. Um, On to the next slide. Uh, We're going to talk about the power of a framework and why and how you you would want to follow an editing framework. Um, I'm going to share some tips and tricks, like uh, move from big to small and focus on a single thing at a time. This will make sense when we dive into the topic. And then at the end, I have a special offer for you all, and there will be um, an opportunity for you to ask any questions you have. So what is a self-editing framework? It's a series of steps, steps to follow, like a checklist, And I actually created uh, what's called the self-editing roadmap that lists every single step of the self-editing process from start to finish. And um, a framework helps you make sure that you're not forgetting anything, that you're focused on the step at hand and that you're going um, through your manuscript in a way that's going to get you results instead of just reading through again and again and just hoping to come across something Um, that you can polish or improve. So a framework brings peace of mind and control. And that feeling of control is something that in my experience, a lot of writers don't feel when they're, um, when they're drafting, they feel in control because they're um, putting the words on the page, they're coming up with the story. But then once that first draft is done, that feeling of control tends to disappear and In my experience, that's because of several things. (laughs) Um, One is that they're not sure how to proceed. They know that revisions are part of the process, but what do revisions look like? Um, Another reason is that they know um, sort of what the self-editing process entails, but it's, it's so many steps that they feel overwhelmed. And they're not sure in which order to tackle these things. They're not sure what to pay attention to. And it feels like so many things to look for at once that um, they may not do as well as they could (laughs) when they would have had a framework. So when you follow a self-editing framework, you have a full overview of the entire self-editing process. You don't have to worry about missing anything. You always know what's next and you get the satisfaction of checking items off. At least I (laughs) always find that super satisfying. So how does that work? How do you get a framework? You can either put together a list yourself based on research. You can find anything you want to know on Google. (laughs) Um, If you search long enough, if you know where to look, you can put everything together yourself, but there's always a guessing element because you don't know what you don't know. And there's always that feeling of what am I missing and am I doing enough? And the feeling of that you should be doing more So instead, there's also the option of getting a ready-made framework. And when I started as a self-editing coach, that did not exist. So I created a self-editing framework based on my own experience, based on my own process, and based on the struggles that I've heard from fellow writers. Um, The things that they've shared with me, that they are experiencing as roadblocks as they try to self-edit. I've incorporated those things into the framework to make sure that those roadblocks are not roadblocks anymore, um, so that you can get past them. So what does self-editing your novel look like from start to finish? There are two major things that I would like you to keep in mind. Uh, Number one is what I mentioned in the overview of what we're going to talk about today, move from big to small. This is um, one of the first things that I learned as I did my masters in editing. They told us don't line edit before you are absolutely sure that the structure is sound. And before they told me this, I would also correct spelling mistakes, correct grammar mistakes, because those are like the easy fixes. You see them straight away, you fix them straight away, and that makes you feel like you're saving time because you're taking care of everything as soon as you come across it. But what I learned and what experience has shown me is that it's much harder to um, work with the structure when you've already spent a ton of time line editing, polishing your sentences, choosing exactly the right word. When you've done that with an entire passage, and then you look at the big picture, you look at your plot and you're like, this scene really doesn't have a place in the plot, but you've already spent hours perfecting it, it's going to be really, really hard to get rid of it. But if instead you look at the plot first and you make sure that everything makes sense before you dive into those details, then you can know for sure that those centers are are there to stay. So it's worth putting in the time and effort to make them as beautiful as they can be, to make them as strong as they can be. And the second thing um, that I also learned during my time um, when I was doing the master's, during my internship, my supervisor told me to look for a single thing at a time. She would ask me to do revisions and she would ask me to check a brochure and make sure that Like 10 different items on a list were um, the way they should be. Um, Layout, text, um, all sorts of different things. And I would try to look for all those things on every single page. So I'd start on page one, and then I'd look for all those things. And then at the end, I felt like I'd done a really good job. And then I'd hand in the brochure with my comments. And my supervisor would be like, you missed a bunch of stuff. And that would happen again and again and again, even though I felt like I was learning from her feedback. So then one day she told me, just take one item at a time, go through the entire brochure, looking for just that thing, check all the ISBN numbers from front to back, page after page, then look for all the headings and then look for all the whatever it was. (laughs) And that saved me so much time and allowed me to find so many more issues that it's, it's a golden nugget that I carry in my pocket every sin, since that, ever since that day. And that I want to share with you as well, because it makes such a difference. It feels really counterintuitive, especially with something as huge as a novel, um, because it may feel like you're going to spend way more time going through the entire novel again and again and again. But you'll have a super clear image of what you're looking for. So every time you go through your manuscript, you'll be looking for a very specific thing. And it makes it less draining than reading your manuscript four times, trying to look for everything at once. And then one other thing um, that also falls in the big to small category that I want to share is um, I see a lot of writers edit by chapter. And that makes sense. I understand why you would do that. But when you're looking at the big picture, It's going to save you time if you look at the entire story at once instead of just chapter by chapter. Because you you may edit like five chapters, and then in chapter six, you discover that there's a big plot hole that affects the chapters that you've already edited as well. So you need to go back and then edit those again. And then maybe in chapter 10, you discover something else that also affects all the previous chapters. So if you edit by chapter, you'll probably end up going back and forth a lot of the time. Whereas if you look at the entire story from start to finish, if you create create an overarching outline and you make sure that that's completely um, the way it should be, you've added scenes where they need to be added and you've removed scenes where they need to be removed, when you go through the story, then you can do it all in one go. So in the end, it saves a lot of time. So the first step of my self-editing framework um, the developmental edits um, that encompasses all the big picture stuff. So plot, character development, world building, and timing and pace. And the first part, um, I recommend deep diving into character development and world building so that you have a really clear image of what you're working with and what you're looking for. Um, I like to compare writing that first draft and how well you know your characters to meeting someone for the first time, whether it's a first date or the first meeting that you had with your best friend. In that meeting, there will probably have been something that sparked your interest and that made you feel like you already know sort of what kind of person they are. And based on that, you were happy to keep going and go on a second date or... Um, keep meeting up for coffee and then little by little, you became friends and then best friends. But it takes time to get to that point, because even if on that first day that you, may, that you met each other, you spent hours and hours and hours talking about super deep stuff. There's always going to be aspects that you won't have talked about. And there's always going to be aspects that won't come out until you spend a lot of time with that person, until you've gone on holiday or until you have spent the night with them or until, I don't know, (laughs) you've had a birthday party. There are a ton of different situations that you need to experience before you can know for sure that you know what that person is like in those situations. And it's the same with the characters. When you write the first draft, you know the characters in the sense that you were able to write a story about them but you're probably going to have guessed a few behaviors or word choices that, and word choices is for later on. That wasn't a good example, but behaviors (laughs) that aren't in line with who they really are. And that's okay because at that point you don't know them that well yet. You need time to pass in order to be able to, to see those things that you didn't know when you started writing. So, That's why I also recommend taking a big break after finishing your first draft and before you start self-editing and take a month off um, to let everything simmer and to create some distance between you and your work. And, And then when you get back to it, you really dive into your characters and your world. And when I say world building, I mean secondary worlds like in fantasy and science fiction, but also worlds that are part of the here and now. Um, Whether it's because you're writing historical fiction and you need uh, the details about a certain age or because you're writing in um, a very specific atmosphere, for example, a small village, or uh, because you're writing uh, a thriller where the courtroom is very present. Um, Those are all very different scenarios and you need to know um, which aspects of that world you need to put into your book. For, in order for the reader to feel like they're really pulled into that world. So when I say world building, it's for anyone, even if you don't write fantasy or science fiction. Um, so all that to say, <laughs> you start by diving in, uh, getting to know your characters and your world on a really deep level. And then my approach is really character centric because I believe that once you know your characters inside and out, everything else becomes a natural consequence. So once you know your characters, you can take a look at your plot because you know how your character would behave in any given situation. And when you take a look at your plot, you'll find plot holes at moments where your character is not behaving in a way that's in line with who they are and what they stand for. And when that's the case, there's a very easy <laughs> solution. It sounds easier than it is, I admit, but there's an easy solution in, um, to fix those plot holes because you can simply consider either, does this need to happen? Because uh, if you have a character that behaves like he gets very angry because of something, and you feel like they're not a person that easily gets angry, you can ask yourself, is that anger necessary for the story? If not, remove it. If it is, then you ask the next question, namely, what would it take for this character to get this angry? Um, And once you answer that question, you can insert that information before the actual anger and you'll have solved the plot hole. So I'm a big fan of asking your characters what what it would take for them to behave a certain certain way and whether it makes sense for them to behave a certain way. Then once you've covered the plot, you move on to timing and pace. And timing uh, for me can be divided into Two sections, namely um, objective timing and subjective time- timing. And object- objective timing. <laughs> Sorry, fact. I'm just going to take a quick sip of water. There we go. Objective timing is tied to anything that. Um, wouldn't make sense, like, would or wouldn't make sense to anyone. Like, a woman who has just given birth is not going to be able to just jump out of her hospital bed and run across the hospital. Um, Somebody who has a lethal wound won't be able to just jump up and run away from a bad guy, even if he is (laughs) packed full of adrenaline. And it takes time to get from point A to point B. Um, It takes time for... Um, things to grow. Those are the types of things that I would put under objective timing. And then subjective timing is tied to the character. For example, how quickly would this character enter a relationship with someone else? If it is a character who is in love with being in love or who is very insecure and looking for love in a desperate way, it would make absolute sense for them to jump into a relationship with someone they barely know. But if it's someone who has trust issues and who has had trust issues for a long time, it wouldn't make sense for them to go from barely knowing someone to hopping into a relationship with them within a matter of days, unless there's something going on that's out of the ordinary. Um, Another example of subjective timing would be um, when someone's ready to have kids or how long something um, takes in the sense that if you have a character who is who moves really slowly, then it doesn't make sense for them to go from point A to point B really quickly. Um, and that's subjective in the sense that it's character-specific, so it's not about um, there, the, the distance between point A and point B is uh, six miles. It's about the fact that this character cannot <laughs> move um, faster than a specific speed. And another character can. So character A will take a longer time than character B to get to, to that point A, uh, point B. <laughs> um, and just tying back into the objective um, timing, there's an example that I like to use that I see really often especially in movies sometimes in books as well but especially in movies um where it takes like i don't know a week two weeks for um a group of people to get from point a to point b and then there's something going on in the finale and the the hero needs to get there really quickly and then suddenly he's able to make the journey he or she is able to make the journey in three days (laughs) Um, that works for the plot, but it's not very believable. So that's the reason why um, I recommend really diving into timing uh, at, this, at this stage of the process. And then pace is something that I personally find very difficult to judge uh, myself. And um, so I would recommend doing one read through and just taking a look at if you feel like things are happening way too fast, way too quickly, uh, or if you're spending a lot of time describing something that really doesn't warrant a, a huge description, those are things that you can um, take note of and correct yourself. But otherwise, beta readers are a really um, a really good way to pinpoint uh, where there are facing issues. Um, that brings us to the beta readers. Usually, um, I see writers enlisting beta readers at the very end of their revisions. So um, they would do the developmental edits, and then they would do the line edits, and then they would enlist beta readers. But then sometimes beta readers come back with feedback that is tied to the big picture, which is really frustrating because, again, you'll have spent so much time polishing your sentences and then you'll have to go back and fix the story structure and maybe remove things that you've already really worked, worked really hard on. So that's why I recommend doing two beta reader rounds. One after you finished your developmental edits and one after you finished your line edits. And then it's really important to specify that you're looking for the big picture feedback here. I would recommend, um, reaching out to around 10 beta readers and not stopping until you have at least five. And the reason for that is that if you have just one beta reader, um, not only is there a chance that they will not be able to complete the beta read, and there's also a chance that their feedback may not be as helpful as you thought it would be, and there's the risk of them really not liking a particular aspect of your story and being very vocal about that. But because they're on their own, you have no idea if that's their opinion and other readers actually love that part, or if it's an issue that you need to work through. And when you have two beta readers, the issue becomes that one of them could have a very strong opinion about not liking something, and then someone else could have a very strong opinion about liking something, which puts you in the position of which one do I go with? that's why I recommend having, in that sense, as many, many beta readers as you can, but you still want to keep it containable and you don't want it to become overwhelming. And in my experience, five to 10 leads to feedback that starts to be easily, um, that you can easily categorize. So when you have five people, five to 10 people, you'll start to notice themes in the feedback. And of course, every beta reader, will have their specific things that other beta readers won't notice or won't share. Um, But when you have that overview from those 5 to 10 readers, you will end up with a list of things that you can tackle um, that you know you should tackle because multiple people have brought them up. Um, So yeah, the general rule with the beta readers five to 10, do two rounds, one after the big picture, one after the nitty gritty details, and be specific in the type of feedback that you're looking for. Because often beta readers are very happy to share specific feedback, but they won't know what to share. And that's where you end up with what I put in these balloons. It was great, loved it. (laughs) But if you send them a few questions ahead of time, they'll probably be super happy to answer those. And that will give you the feedback that you're looking for. So keep that in mind when you're looking for beta readers. Then, once you have implemented the beta feedback and taken another break, uh, another four week break, <laughs> um, uh, I would recommend doing those four weeks while your manuscript is with beta readers. So you would implement the feedback at the end of that break you move on to line editing or what I like to call the nitty gritty. Um, Things like character voice, dialogue, descriptions, word choice, sentence flow, all those things that lead to, that are part of polishing your writing, strengthening your writing and tidying up your writing. Um, So it's changing sentences like, I walked into the room and couldn't believe how badly it smelled To As I walked into the room, my stomach turned and I scoured my pockets for a cloth to cover my nose. Same thing, but the second one really pulls the reader in while the first one um, is just sharing the information without having that pull. Um, Again, it's really important to go through one thing at a time here, and that's another pitfall I see many, many writers fall into, where they separate the big picture and the nitty gritty, but they still try to look for everything at once. So things like adverbs, passive voice, dialog tags, separate all of those and do a single read through for each item. That way you make sure that you're looking for a very specific thing and that you catch as much as you can. And another tip that I have for the line editing stage is to use an editing tool like um, ProWritingAid or Grammarly. I'm personally a big fan of ProWritingAid, they have a free version. That you can use, you can only insert five hundred words at a time with the free version. But even if um, you have, if you were able to <laughs> insert a full manuscript, I would recommend selecting small portions, so that shouldn't be too much of a roadblock. Um, and ProWritingAid has been—it used to be on the same level as Grammarly, but they've added a ton of features that are specific to fiction writing that are um, really useful and come really handy um, when you're looking for things like adverbs and passive voice and those things. Because when you're just reading your manuscript, you're, um, you're going to miss some of those things. And providing it highlights them all. And definitely use your common sense when you're using a tool, because the suggestions that they make for improvements are not always improvements. Um, But definitely take a look at all the highlights and consider for each instance how you would improve it. That's it. Um, That's the overall (laughs) process. And in the chat, I would love to hear your takeaways. If there is anyone willing to share those in the chat.
1: Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Oh my gosh, that was so quick. Thank you, Hank. He's backstage. Um, okay, I <laughs> quicker than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Oh, wow. Um, I do have a few questions. Yes. Um, okay, so firstly, the thing that stood out as being the most like, oh my gosh, wow, that's so mm-hmm. helpful for me, was that idea of, does this scene need to happen? And then if it does need to happen, what would it take for my character yeah. to actually do this? That, some yeah. like, of those things, like, yeah, it makes logical sense. <laughs> but like, I heard that and I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. No. So, yeah, I think it's because, like I said, I'm very
3: character centric, but I feel like a lot of writers approach the story from the outside, where it feels like you need to solve the plot. <laughs> yeah. um, and your characters know what they're going to react, uh, what their reactions are going to be and how they're going to act. So, yeah, um,
1: just ask them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree. And I think, like, in my current project, I've actually, like, as I've gotten to know my characters more and they've morphed a little bit, I started making notes of, like, oh, yeah. that thing that happened is going to need to change. Like, there's yeah. no way. <laughs> so, Which actually kind of brings me to my second question, mm-hmm. um, which is editing while writing. and uh, like, Yeah, do, that's a good one. I, do you have... <laughs> yeah. Feelings on that, and like what kind of yes. what do you recommend in terms of like doing any backwards looking while you're writing? Yeah, I have strong feelings about that.
3: <laughs> um, editing and writing are very different processes. It takes a different part of your brain to um, to write and to edit. Um, that said, when you're rewriting, you're also using those um, same parts of your brain that you're using when you're coming up with the story. Um, so to me, the, the three major stages in the writing process are write the first draft, self-edit, have a professional look at it. Those are the three things that, like, if you want your book to be the very best it can be, those are the three things that need to come together. So self-editing is not a replacement for professional editing. Um It's when you put those two together that the magic happens. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for writing and self-editing. Like they're both important parts, but they need to be considered separately in order to really make the most of it. So I would recommend uh, going through that first draft just from start to finish without editing anything. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, reading back can be helpful for some writers, especially if you don't write every day. but keep in mind that when you read those passages, it's just to remind yourself of where yeah. you're at and not to <laughs> to edit. And the, I think maybe the, the best way to remind yourself of that is what I talked about earlier. Like if you're going to put in a ton of work already and like changing the little things, it's going to be super frustrating when you discover that, something needs to go, something needs to change, a character needs to be very different, all those types of things. So it's, it feels like you're saving time in the moment, but in the end, you're actually giving yourself a lot more work, more work. <laughs> and frustration.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I personally have kind of reached a point where I, I make myself a lot of notes as I read, yeah. where I'll realize yeah. things and I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna have to change that later. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't want to forget. And so I just I have a lot of sticky notes, a lot of like, kind of like yeah. oh, remember that thing in chapter two. Her name yeah. changed. Sorry. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah. Taking notes is a great idea, and especially if you're, you feel like your fingers are itching while you're, <laughs> while you're writing, you make exactly. sure to put it down somewhere so you won't forget it, and um, and then move forward. Yeah. And Um. There was something else I wanted to add, <laughs> but it's escaped me now. It'll
1: come back to you maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. We have a question in the chat that actually relates to one of my questions. This um, oh, my other question was going to be, how do you have suggestions for where to find beta readers? And yeah. then this is a great sort of follow up to that question. Absolutely, yeah. Um, where to find beta readers?
3: Uh, I would recommend um, taking a look at your own network, uh, mm-hmm. your friends with writers and readers, and. One mistake that I see writers make is that they only look for writers uh, who want to beta read for them. And I would recommend making use of Bookstagram and looking for readers um, who are your target audience, because chances are they'll be super excited to get a a sneak peek of a book before it's out. And they'll be super useful uh, when it comes to figuring out whether or not you're hitting the right spots. Um, so social media is another one. And then communities like the Story Cafe at Dabble, I think would be a great place to um, to look for beta readers as well. So in my experience in talking with writers, the, the biggest hurdle, hurdle when it comes to looking for beta readers is the fear of approaching people that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I like to like switch it around where if you would receive a message from an author saying, I'm working on a book, um, I've seen that you like this genre. I would love for you to read it. And I would love to hear what you think about it. I would be very excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm be <super> flattered. <laughs> and um, something that I also hear a lot of writers say is that they're afraid of asking too much because it is a time investment that you're asking from people and you're not paying them. But for me, as long as you're clear about what you're expecting and what Um, what the time frame is and all all those types of things and that you're not paying them. (laughs) Um, They have an option to say no. So as long as you make it clear to them that they're allowed to say no, it's absolutely no obligation and you only want them to to help you if they really want to, then I don't think you need to be afraid of um, asking for that help. And then how to protect your work from beta readers stealing your content. Um, I think that's a very common fear and... Um, I can't take it away fully but at the same time I've never come across uh, a case in which that has happened and um, you also need to remember that you are um, sharing your story at a stage where it's not done yet Um, and the How to phrase this? (laughs) Um, Even if someone were to to take the core of your story, they would still have to rework it, and that would make it a different story because it's no longer you writing it. And I I don't think that's something that people would do. (laughs) But even if that were the case, um, it's still not going to be what you make, uh, Mm. how you write it. Um, and another, um, another thing that you can do, like, it's very low key and it's not like full protection, but, um, you can ask them to sign an NDA before you, um, share your work just to make sure that they know you're serious about it. Um, and that gives you some leverage if, um, if something were to go wrong,
1: right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So I think. It's mostly about um, making sure that you trust the people that you're going to work with. Um, And I feel like if you ask people to beta read for you that you've already seen around for quite a long time, um, you'll probably have a pretty good idea of what they're like and if they would be prone (laughs) to (laughs) acting like that. and I think that stealing stealing someone's writing isn't um, it's not going to get them
1: right. It's not easy or lucrative,
3: right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's not like I mean, if you steal a wallet, you have the money. But if you steal someone's manuscript, um, that's it's you're not going to be able to just publish it. <laughs> yeah. And. Um, it takes a lot of effort to even to self-publish. So I doubt that the people would be the people who would be thinking about, oh, I could steal someone's story, I don't think I honestly don't believe that they would put in the effort that it takes to then <laughs> get it published. Totally do it um, and that's yeah, that's my personal opinion. But I, yeah. I understand the fear and I think that the best way to deal with that is to build your own confidence as a writer. Um, and the confidence in your writing network.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, um, let's see. Finally, we have a question from Jared, who says, I'm a new writer. Oh, here it is. <laughs> there we go. I know it's not Bella. And I, this is a good question. I think on two fronts, one, in terms of how far back to review with an editing eye. And then also when you're thinking like, okay, let me just look back and kind of figure out where I am in general, mm-hmm. like how far back do you look? I tend to right. read like, the scene before and just be yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's two things with in, in terms of how far do you read back? Um, if you're, if you find yourself uh, very tempted <laughs> to edit as you read back, what you could do is write down an outline on a piece of paper where you don't have any of the other content, but you still have the um, the information that you need in order to move forward. So then you can look at those scenes um, and use that as a way to remind yourself where you were. And otherwise, like you, I would uh, look at the previous scene just to remind yourself where you're at in the story and then move forward. Because even if you get something wrong in the sense that you forget a beat or... Anything like that, um, you'll get to that when you edit. <laughs> um, and getting stuck in permanent editing mode. What do you mean by that exactly, Jared?
1: I think uh, this is something I've heard other storycraft people talk about where it's just like you, like, as you start to reread things, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the dangerous part. It's that like right. unable to kind of like. Right. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so I think I like to compare training yourself to keep writing instead of editing. I like to compare that to meditation, where you're not gonna um, you're not gonna be able to meditate for ten minutes straight the first time you try it. <laughs> you're going to get distracted. You're going to get distracted a lot of times, and that's fine. But just every time you notice yourself getting distracted, remind yourself, wait, no, this is not what I was going to do and go back to the point where you start writing new material. Um, And the more often you do that, the easier it becomes to just keep moving forward. And what I've also noticed myself, but also all the writers that I've guided through the self-editing process, um, is that knowing about the self-editing process that follows um, is really helpful in continuing forward because you'll know that everything will be um polished and
1: right it's sort of like oh i'll get to that
3: exactly yeah
1: Yeah. Um,
3: and go back to the beginning to make sure it all flows then my story can even change a lot because i went back too far and i can always find ways to make it better right um i think i see two things here again where um when you say you want to make sure it all flows that sounds to me like right. It <laughs> sounds to me like um, you're looking at sentence level. Um, and if you take the approach that I uh, just explained, where you start with a big picture and then move on to the sentence level, um, you'll be confident that the story is good the way it is, because you'll have gone over that as often as you need to, to make sure that you're confident in it. Um, so then when you move to Uh, the line editing stage and the nitty gritty, you can really focus on that flow and making sure that uh, everything flows nicely. And when it comes to that, I do recommend multiple read-throughs. Like I said, you separate all the tiny little things like adverbs, passive voice, uh, dialogue tags, like really tiny things. And you look through the entire manuscript looking for just those things. And when you've done that for all the things um, that you need to look at, your story is going to be... um, much stronger uh, so that with a final read-through or two, you'll probably be able to catch all the sentences that don't flow the way you want them to. Um, so when it comes to the rereading, I think it's really a matter of remembering that it's it takes practice. You're not going to be able to just stop doing that <laughs> cold turkey. <laughs> um, so whenever you find yourself rereading, remind yourself, no, oh, wait, I'm moving forward now and I'll get back to that later.
1: That. I sometimes like kind of every once in a while will go back and sort of like skim through the whole thing especially if I have changed something like I'm yeah. like okay this character like no longer exists or I just added a yes. character that needed to get added a long time ago I'll go back and like kind of skim through the whole thing in order to put those notes Right. In. like yeah. oh this is where that person needs to come in yeah. and then that way when I get to the editing phase I have handy little memory notes in there yeah <laughs> also, Side note, there a very large spider on my wall right now, so I'm oh going to no. do no! Oh, that it. was your expression of... Yeah. <laughs> oh no. I'm fine, in case anyone <laughs> was wondering. Just oh scrolling around. Um, <clears> okay, <throat> and then I think, I think that's all of our questions in the chat. Yeah. Um, are there other things you'd like to share with us before we finish up? Yeah, I would like to share a special
3: offer (laughs) um, for double um, users or like the people in StoryCraft Cafe. (laughs) Um, I uh, actually have a slide for that. So if we could pull those back up. Yay, thanks. That was fast. Yeah, that was really fast. (laughs) Um, So the special offer is um, I have a self-editing academy that Goes through the entire process of um, self-editing your book from start to finish. It also has uh, modules that um, cover mindset, so it's also already very useful when you're <laughs> um, when you're drafting. And when you uh, enroll in the self-editing academy within 24 hours, you get a free upgrade to the VIP package, which entails. Lifetime access to the Academy and two hours of one-on-one self-editing coaching. So um, the Academy is an online course. There's a community that goes with it where you can answer ask questions that are specific to your novel. But these two hours would be really focused on your specific manuscript and the things that you struggle with.
1: Um, Do those two hours have to happen within a certain time frame? No,
3: not at all. Just, um, yeah, I would recommend doing one with the developmental edits and one with the line edits. But you're free to use those um, as you see fit. And you can find the special offer right here.
1: And what I will do is I'll actually ask you to send me that link, and then I will put it in the cafe with this recording so that that way people who come to see the recording today yeah. um since it is quite early we'll also have a chance <laughs> yeah. to look at that and that yeah. would be awesome. awesome awesome well thank you uh, this is super helpful i took some notes as i was going along and i'm looking forward to just kind of shouting this out in the cafe again and making sure that people know that this is a, a good resource to look back on when they get to that phase and then also to sort of mentally prepare exactly
3: yeah yeah it's really useful if you're still drafting as well just to know what's coming next
1: awesome well thank you and, thank you so much um, yeah well we'll see you around in the cafe absolutely yeah all right awesome thank you so much